We're going to be in chapter 3 of 1 Peter. 1 Peter is a great book for many of us right now in our life, especially in our culture. 1 Peter is a book that was written for those of us who find ourselves in conflict with the culture because of our faith. I heard someone say, I actually tell a story about a preacher who was out building something in his backyard. And while he was back there, he noticed that the neighborhood boy had come over and was just sitting and watching him build, build this lattice, build this stuff for his garden. And he kept working, and he kept nailing, and he kept hammering, and he kept cutting. And the little boy just sat there and just kept watching. So the preacher finally walked over to him and said, Hey, son, I notice you just keep watching. Do you, do you hope to pick up some gardening tips? I'd love to teach you how to garden. I love to garden. In which the little boy just said, No, no, preacher. I just wanted to sit here and see what a preacher says when he hits his thumb with a hammer. We often are in our life trying to live in a culture that wants to see us slip and fall. Oftentimes they want to push us down and oftentimes, I'm sorry, but we push other people down as well. We judge people, we're mean to people sometimes, let's just be real. But today I want us to dive into this because we are to live a holy life and when we get our thumbs hit by a hammer and bad things happen, there is an expectation, not just from people, but from God on how we are to respond. But what do we do when our holiness seems to bring about hostility? And when our goodness seems to just bring on this grievances from those around us. I know there are some people right now in this church dealing with the issue of believing in truth and standing for what is right, but yet being ousted and blasted and treated horribly. Last week we talked about suffering as part of the faith. Suffering is part of being a Christ follower. But today I want us to dive in a little bit because if this is the last sermon in this series, I want to make sure we get a couple of things before we walk away from this and work on something else as God leaves us. So let's talk about persecution for a moment. Persecution, I want us to get some concrete uh, ideas about this persecution. Because it often seems that I know in my life, maybe it's not been this way in yours, but I seem to take it personally when someone persecutes me because of my faith or I remember in high school when I announced my calling to preach when I was 14 years old, they came out of the woodwork. Boy, they started watching me like a hawk. And there was a particular young man who was an atheist who his goal was to argue with me and to prove me wrong and him right. I will never forget the way I felt in the class that day when the entire class time was taking up by a bunch of high school students sitting and just listening to him belittle my faith. I was maybe 16 at the time, and I had no idea how to defend my faith. I want you to know I struggled. I walked away from that feeling defeated, like I'd let God down. I walked away feeling like I was a failure. 
And what even hurts worse, a young man died two years later in an accident. And here I am, 50 years old, and I remember that. Because that moment took me to a place I did not want to go to. I did not want to argue. I didn't want to fuss. I didn't want to fight. But I didn't know what to say. I would try to say something, but it'd come right back. And then when he dies two, year, two years later, it just broke my heart. I really hope and pray after graduation, somebody said something so, so he could come to faith in Christ. But when it comes to persecution, there's something we need to understand and grab hold of. And I wish someone had told me this when I was a young teenager or when I was young in my faith, I wish someone had just looked at me and said these type of things when it comes to being persecuted for your belief. Because it happens every day. It happens in school. It happens on job sites. It happens in, uh, online constantly. It happens in the media. It happens in movies. I mean, everywhere you look, we're persecuted for our faith in Jesus Christ. So I want us to read this morning, first and foremost... Verses 13 through 18 of chapter 3. And then we're going to dive into some things about persecution and some things to remember. Verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 3 reads this way in the New American Standard. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation... And do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing good what is right rather than for doing what is wrong? The very first thing that really stands out to me in those verses is found in verse 13. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Notice that this is like a rhetorical question. He doesn't really give us an answer to that question because here's what he's saying. If you're feeding the hungry, then who is going to come down on you for helping those who are hungry. If you're helping the homeless and you're doing good for the homeless, who is going to really belittle you for helping homeless people? What Peter is saying, if you pursue good, you're probably not going to be persecuted and belittled by this world. But if you pursue God, you will be. Please understand there's a distinction. It's very easy for us, even as Christians, to pursue doing good and be comfortable in doing good because we don't have to worry about persecution and everybody will like me. Everybody will be my friend. Ladies and gentlemen, we are the children of a holy and living God. We have been called to do good, but we've been called to do more than just good. If we stay in just doing good and keep our mouths closed, then we, I am going to say something very bold, and some of you will not agree with me. But here it goes. 
If you stay in doing good and keep your mouth closed and do nothing to glorify God in what you say and do, then you are living in sin because God said to do everything to glorify Him and let Him be known. And that means to make Him famous. Just doing good, we will get at the precipice of that and get afraid. And we will say, yeah, I don't want to take that next step because it endangers me. Peter is saying, if you just do good, who is going to persecute you? Who's going to mess with you? Who's going to say bad things about you? Because you're helping the little children. There are people dying and going to hell today, and they're helping good people, and they are good people themselves. There's more to this than just doing good. We as Christians must do good. Do you understand the first hospital was founded by Christians? The Red Cross was founded by Christians. Did you know that Harvard and Yale was founded by Christians? Every society in which the Christian influence has come into it has been benefited by goodness because of Christians. And I am telling you, it is good for us to do good things. But if all we do is good things, we will never experience the suffering of Christ. Because we'll have the approval of man. I want us to look further because this gets a little more in-depth and serious. Because we can become very personally injured if we're not careful when we're persecuted. Verse 14, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness. Notice Peter takes a turn here. He's not just talking about doing good things. He's talking about righteousness. What is the measure of righteousness? The popularity of what people think is right? Yes or no? That's not it. Righteousness is a measurement of what God has deemed to be right. Regardless of the culture, regardless of my opinion or what I think, what God has deemed to be right is where we are to walk. And when we walk in that righteousness, there is a great possibility we will suffer for that. That's the reality of the world. We can suffer for walking in God's righteousness, as Peter is saying right here in verse 14. But, if, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Turn to your neighbor and tell them they're blessed. Tell somebody else, you are blessed. You are blessed. You're blessed. You're blessed. Why are you blessed? Not because we got brand new cars and fancy houses and, and we're living on Easy Street. We're blessed because we're walking in righteousness and we're suffering as Christ suffered. There's a blessing in that. But here's where we start getting down to the nitty gritty. The first thing about persecution I want you to understand is this. That persecution is a result of belonging to Christ. It is not because of your looks. It's not because of your beliefs. It's not because of the Bible. It's not because of the archaic thinking system. The persecution is because you belong to Jesus. Jesus said himself, you will be persecuted because of me. We have to understand it's not personal. I know some of us, we love Jesus and we don't want to see him hurt. He's a big boy. He can take care of himself. But it hurts when somebody attacks my Jesus and my Lord. 
But we are persecuted because we belong to Christ. See, we have a surrendered heart. Let's read through verse 14. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. The second thing, not only is it because we belong to Christ, but it's because we're persecuted because we love Jesus. Because we love Jesus, we will be persecuted. Understand, this isn't about necessarily what you say or what you do uh, measured by other people. It's what you say and what you do measured by God. Jesus himself said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Those who do what I say love me. Peter even reminds us in chapter 1 that we are to be holy as Christ is holy. 1 John is filled with this idea that we have to do what Christ has asked us to do when we love Him. It just is an overflow. Let me give you this illustration. When, <laughs> this is going to be real, Jane's not in here, right? Good, all right. So, yesterday we went on a trip, and on the way back, I did not want her to drive. I wanted to drive. Not because she's a bad driver. She's a great driver. But I wanted to drive. And, but she wanted to drive for me so that I could rest. Now, even though I didn't want her to do that, and I wanted to drive, because I like to be sitting over there and driving in that van and driving down the interstate, I, I was cool with that. But yet, she wanted to drive for me. Because I love her, you know what I said? Yes, dear. Absolutely. And I actually took a nap. Shh, don't tell her that. She may have noticed that I took a nap. But when we love someone, we will do what they have asked, not because we feel dominated and that they are lording it over us, but we will do what they've asked simply because we love them and they love us. Jesus have, has asked us to go and make disciples. We cannot make disciples by keeping our mouth shut. We cannot make disciples acting like the world. Because they won't even know what a disciple looks like. They won't even know who God is if we don't act like we know Jesus. So for us, when we live this life, when we look at this persecution, the persecution we face is because we belong to Jesus and that we love Him. So try not to take it so personal. It's hard though, isn't it? It is so hard because I remember taking it so personal what happened in that high school classroom for me. I took it like I had been beat down and like Jesus had bruises all over his face because of me. But to understand that persecution is going to come because you belong to Jesus and you love him is one of those things that can help us have some hope. Speaking of hope, I know it's easy in verse 14 to read the words where it says, Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. It's only when we understand who we rest in and what the source is behind the persecution that we can grab hold of that. But I want us to remember something, and we can find this in verse 15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Let Him be in charge. Let Him be in control. Let Him be first. 
always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Now, when you read over that, one of the things that stands out is defense, right? That we are to defend the gospel. We are to give a defense of some sort. As a matter of fact, the Greek word there, apologia, is actually where we get the idea of apologetics. We don't apologize for our faith. We don't go, oh, I'm sorry, I'm a follower of Christ. Don't ever say that. I'm not sorry that I'm a follower of Christ. I'm sorry that other people are not a follower of Christ. And I want to see them be a follower of Christ. Apologetics is not apologizing for the faith. It is giving a defense for our faith. Now, this particular thing that he says here, don't miss a key ingredient. Always being ready to give a defense for the what? The hope that is in you. See, here's the thing. I want you to remember this, that we are to have hope and it is to shine brightly. Our hope should be shining very brightly to this world. It should be so that other people can see that we have hope inside of us. It must begin internally for it to have any effect externally. What's going on in the inside must be hope-filled with Christ for it to have any effect with people around us or what is happening. When we are persecuted, we can have hope because we got the hope on the inside. Our hope isn't built on how people treat us. Our hope must be built on how Christ died for us. That's where our hope is built. Why do Christians believe that they are better than all the other religions? That is a question. That is something that is said. That is things that people have written. Why do Christians believe they are better than all the other people? Why do they believe that they are better than other religions? Can I tell you, let me set the record straight. We do not believe we're better than any other religion. We don't believe that we're better than any other person. We just believe we're better off because we have Christ. And what we want to do is help them know Christ. That's the hope we have inside of us. Not that we are holier than all these other people. For people who live holier than others, are those are people who are dealing with pride and sin in their life and they need to be humbled. Now, if they are living a holier life because they're pursuing Christ and they are living a life that is a humbled life and they're doing what Christ has called them to do, that is a blessed life. But if they are living holier than thou with all the people around them, that they are better than everyone else because at least I don't do what they do, then that particular person is filled with sin because of pride. So we have a hope inside of us, ladies and gentlemen, that should be permeating out of us that people are asking the question, can you explain to me why it is that you are being persecuted and yet you still have hope? Here's a quick story. This happened back in 1999. There was a gentleman with his two boys who went to do some ministry work overseas. While he was working in this particular camp, some militant Muslims came during the night. 
And he and his two boys were sleeping in a jeep. These militant Muslims came and they burned that jeep with them inside of it. This happened in 1999. This man and his two boys died. The reason they died was because they followed Jesus. The story doesn't end there, though, because he had a wife and he had some daughters. His wife and girls could have very well said, You barbarians, I'm leaving this country. You can all just die and go to hell. That is not what she said. She said, I will stay in this country because I want my daughters to grow up here because we love the people of this country and they need Jesus. Can I just say, wow, only someone with hope in their heart could make such a decision as that. Losing your husband and sons and yet choosing to continue to minister to those to whom brought on their death. There's countless numbers of stories of missionaries who died, whose family went on to minister and to serve and to preach the gospel to the very ones who killed them. But the only way that can happen is because you have hope that begins on the inside that permeates out. That's why Peter is writing, be ready to give a defense for the hope that is within you because it's pouring out of you and people see it and they know it and you're being persecuted because you belong to Jesus and you love Jesus and you're doing what he says. But hold on. Because this is something you've got to know for sure. There's nothing else you've written down today. Make sure you get this one. The second thing to remember is this. The persecutors are not the enemy. They are the mission. Can I say that again? The persecutors are not the enemy. They are the mission. For all those those people who are throwing hate online in social media, they are not the enemy. They are the mission. They are not the one that we need to be fighting against. As a matter of fact, Peter makes it very clear over in chapter 5 that there is an enemy. Verse 8 of chapter 5, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He wants to devour you and your family. He wants to devour your witness and your life. He wants to see your world collapse. And he will bring attacks into your life so that you will respond in the flesh so that things that you could accomplish will be destroyed. There is an enemy. And it's not the people who are typing on the keyboards. It's not the ones on their phone typing and posting things that's absolutely attacking our belief that there is a hope and His name is Jesus and that there is a way and it is the Word of God. And I'm here to tell you, there is no one who's going to change the fact for me, regardless of how they may attack or things they may say, I'm still standing that this is the truth, this is the Word of God, it's the inerrant Word of God, Jesus is the hope of the world, and without Jesus, there will never be a solution for these problems. The government is not going to come up with the things to fix it. The schools will not get fixed. Gun laws will not fix it. It will be Jesus Christ being in the hearts of people and them living according to God's word that will fix it. And so, 
They may attack, they may send emails, they may calls, they may make death threats. But can I tell you something? I've got a hope inside, and it's Jesus Christ. And if I fall prey to stooping to their level of attacking, then I am taking away the mission field. This is hard. Let's just be real. Keeping in mind that they're not the enemy but the mission causes us to have to step back and see people differently when they are stealing all kinds of things from us. We have to be careful to see them as the mission that Christ came to die for. That's hard. That's real hard. It's not comfortable. I don't like it. I wish I I could stand up here and tell you something else. I wish I could stand up here and tell you 400 ways to get to God and I could tell you uh, 300 ways that you can deal with people. But I'm here to tell you this. There is but one way to God and that's through Jesus Christ. There is only one true God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The three as one. There is only one way to salvation and to deal with sin. The death and resurrection of Jesus. But for these people, we have to stop seeing them as the enemy, seeing them as the mission. Pastor, but what happens when they come at you and they attack you and they say all kinds of evil things about you and they slander you and they put you down and they rip you apart and they throw out things that aren't true and and they're doing things that are just destroying your life? I wish I could give you an ABC answer or a one, two, three. But I can tell you what it's measured by. It's measured by God's word. It's measured by how Jesus thinks, what he says, and what he does. If your response does not pass those litmus tests, you need to reconsider your response. Because... Here, here. Let's let's read on. I don't want want you to miss where I, I just told you that they are the mission. Notice that Peter makes it makes it very clear. Uh, let's look in verse sixteen. Keep a good conscience, so that in the the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than doing for what is good. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. See, verse 18 is the essence of the issue. There is an enemy that does not want people to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior because it will change their life. And so he gets them into this mindset that their identity is built around the ideas in this culture and this world rather than their identity being built in Jesus Christ. But the real truth is, every single one of them are loved so much that Jesus left heaven and came to earth and died on the cross for them and rose from the grave so that they can have life and have it more abundantly. This is not one of those things that we can just brush off and say, well, this is just the way I respond to stuff. When we are a follower of Christ, we must follow as Christ and do as Christ did. 
So what must I do? Let's just go through just three quick things that Peter lists here. Let's look here in verse 15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. That's where you're going to have to start. You're going to have to say, Jesus, you're in charge. I'm doing it your way. Always be ready to make a defense for it. To everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Somebody needs to circle the word ask, by the way. The Lord laid that on my heart on the way back last night. Somebody needs to circle the word ask because you keep telling. You keep opening your mouth and you keep fighting and you keep trying to prove yourself right when you need to just wait for them to ask because you're making things worse. I don't know who you are. Maybe it's nobody in this room, but somebody needs to circle the word ask. Wait for them to ask you about the hope. Give enough evidence that they will want to ask. Then when they ask, here's what we are to do. We are to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness. We are to be gentle. We're not to be angry. We're not to be boastful or prideful. We're not to browbeat. We're not to attack. We're to be gentle when we talk about the hope that's in us. Look at the next thing that Peter puts in here. Not only are we to be gentle, but we are to do it with respect, with reverence. With respect to God... And respect to other people. We're to love God and love others. We are to respect them, not to beat them down and call them names. And the last one is, and keep a good conscience. He gives a reason why we should keep a good conscience. But understand this good conscience is living a life in such a way that when they look at you, they're going to say, you definitely follow God. You're definitely connected to Him. You always do what is right, even in the face of how people treat you. I'm not sure how this message has spoken to you today. I hope that there's been some stuff that you can walk away with and hold on to. Because it was sure would have been good if somebody had told me when I was 16 years old about this idea of persecution. And in our day today. We see persecution growing and getting bigger and getting bigger and getting bigger. It is becoming more blatant. We are not to back away from the truth of God's word. We are to stand firm in the truth of God's word, of who he says he is and who we are and what his message means to people. We are not to back away from that. I can tell you what we are to back away from. The power of our flesh to respond in such a way that God is not glorified. Stand firm in our faith and in the truth of His Word, but yet back away from our flesh, destroying that which God has called us to do in mission. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do for your seven-day challenge this week. This is not easy. Pray for the one who is persecuting you. Pray for the one who is saying evil things. And maybe some of you are not necessarily being attacked personally. Like they're not calling you by name. They're not saying things about you particularly. But they're saying things about Christians and about the church and about the Bible. And, and, and they're bringing this stuff up. When you hear that, I double, triple, dog dare you to stop what you're doing and pray for that person in that moment. Pray for them. 
not to have a flat tire, but for their heart to be turned to a heart of flesh so that they will understand the goodness of God. Nothing we say will change the heart of people, but Christ can change their heart. This week when those six children accepted Jesus Christ, Chicopee Baptist Church saved absolutely nobody. Pastor Claude saved absolutely nobody this week. Pastor Brian, he saved no one this week. But let me tell you, the Holy Spirit changed six lives for eternity. So I want to encourage you today to take a good look at yourself and whenever you see persecution happen, stop what you're doing and pray for the other person. Okay, Lord, I'll say it. It could quite possibly change what you're about to put on Facebook. It might just change the tweet you're about to do or the post on Instagram, the reply you do if you will stop and pray for them. That's what Jesus said to do. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. So that's your seven-day challenge. This week, stop and pray for the one persecuting you. Whether it's personally, by name, or the church in general. Stop and pray for them. If you see it on the news, just stop right there. You, you don't have to announce it to the house. Say, okay, everybody, let's stop. You see that woman on TV right there talking? We're going to pray for her. Come here. If you want to do that, that's fine. But you can also just stop and bow your head and pray. Pray with me now. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement it gives us. Lord, these attacks are not personal. These attacks are because we belong to you and that we love you enough to follow and do what you've asked us to do. Lord, they're not just attacking us. They're attacking you. Lord, as as you told Samuel whenever they... The entire nation of Israel was saying, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king. And Samuel was taking it very personal that they wasn't listening to him. They, he wanted them to not have a king and to follow after God. And God, you looked at Samuel one day and you said, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. God, these people are not rejecting us. They're rejecting you. They've bought into the lie of who you are bought into the lie of what it means to be a follower of Christ Lord let us not back away from truth but let us stand for truth as Jesus has declared as Peter has laid out in this book help us Father have courage to live righteous lives so that people can see hope in us let us have the courage to speak Father, may you do the work to change the hearts of those around us. This morning, if you've never accepted Christ, 
This is probably a foreign message to you, and it's probably not very appealing to think that you're going to be persecuted if you accept Jesus. But the reality is, you will. You will be tempted to go back to the life that you used to live, to walk in the flesh, to respond as everybody else responds. But I encourage you today, the cost of suffering for your faith in Christ pales into comparison to the relationship you're going to have and the glories and the blessings it's going to bring. Will you accept Christ today? If God is dealing with your heart, will you simply ask Him to forgive you and take over your life in this moment? We pray these things in Jesus' name.